to Revelation Church. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, we have, if you're a guest tonight, first of all, welcome. Uh, we have been working through over the past several weeks uh, the series of the church calendar called Advent. Uh, each one of those candles represents a different week on the Advent calendar leading up to Christmas. And we've been talking about how the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament of this book, over and over and over and over again talk about this person that's coming because something is wrong with the world. I think everybody deep down knows that. Something's wrong out there. Something's wrong in here. And the Bible says, don't worry, God's got a plan. He's sending someone to fix it. And we looked at several places where that prophecy happens. But tonight, we're going to take a look at a text in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use the one in the pew in front of you. And we're going to look at a part of the story of the birth of this coming one, this this Savior. The, The Bible uses the word Messiah or anointed one. But before we do that, who in this room has ever done like an office secret Santa thing with coworkers? Some of you. Aren't they awful? (laughs) Last year at Christmas, I was working for a company that I started working for in June. And so I'd been there for about six months and there was a secret Santa thing, and we all drew names for a different employee to get gifts for. And, and the problem with that is, I don't know these people. I've been working with them for six months, trying to get to know them, and they've been doing the same thing, trying to get to know me. And there's really three categories of secret Santa gift, I think. The first one is the one that's acceptable, like when you get like a king-size candy bar, or maybe some movie tickets, or a Starbucks gift card. I mean, nobody really wants a Starbucks gift card, but at least you can use it for something. Then there's the category of things where the person giving it thinks they would like it, but they don't know you and they have no idea that you don't want that thing. Like getting a scented candle. I don't know what to do with that. Or like a precious moments Christmas ornament. Like, if that's your thing, great, but I'm not here for that. And then the third category is the, I just woke up this morning and realized it was Secret Santa Day and I don't have a gift. So I wrapped up some old Tupperware that I found in a back cupboard, or I went to the dollar store and got a miniature flashlight that doesn't have batteries with it. And so then then it's my problem to like throw it away after you give it to me. But the reason that Secret Santa is so hard is because in order to give a good gift, you have to know the person you're giving the gift to. The best gifts are always given by people that know you well. And even if your gifts aren't um, what you wanted, if the person that gives them knows you, they're probably what you needed. When I was eight years old and I got underwear for Christmas, my mom and dad knew I needed that. Even if I didn't want it, I needed it. 
we talk a lot at Christmas about um, Jesus and Jesus is a gift and Jesus is the reason for the season. And the question I wanna ask tonight in this text in Luke is if Jesus is a gift, if Jesus comes as a gift to us from God, is he a good gift? What's he a gift for? And I think there's three things in this text that we can look at that show us the kind of gift that Jesus is. So let's read this together. I am going to start in verse 8, and you can follow along in your Bible. This is the beginning of the coming of Christ. He's been prophesied for hundreds and thousands of years, and he's born on this night when we pick up the story in Luke chapter 2. And in verse 8, it says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. So Jesus has just been born in Bethlehem earlier in the story, and we change scenes to this field at night. We're going to talk about shepherds. The first thing I want to point out that Jesus is a gift for is Jesus is a gift for the outcast. Jesus is a gift for the outcast. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. In the same region, region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock, and then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Shepherds are kind of a weird bunch. Shepherds are, uh, being a shepherd is a vocation in ancient Israel that is necessary for society to work. But it's not really one of those jobs you, all, you dream about as a child. When I grow up, I'm going to be a shepherd. I'm sure you can think of some jobs today that are like that. They're like, man, I'm glad that guy gets up and does that every day, but I don't want to do it. Shepherds were kind of weird. Shepherds spent a lot of time out in the fields. A handful of shepherds, a whole bunch of sheep. They were a little little strange. They'd come into town every so often and you'd be like, oh, there go the shepherds. They're kind of like the awkward kids in school. I can say that because I was an awkward kid in school. I had friends, but my friends were a special little group of friends, and we didn't really hang out with all the normal kids because we sat in the corner and talked about Star Trek all day. And that didn't really transfer to normal society. But shepherds are just a little strange. But these are the people that get the announcement that the king has come. The Messiah has been born. The kings, the politicians, the military generals, the Hollywood celebrities, they don't get that invitation. The sort of weird 
socially outcast, slightly smelly shepherds. They get the heads up that the king has been born. And this is God's plan. Of all the people in all the world that God could send this mighty angel to to announce the birth of his son, he picks the shepherds. You see, Jesus is a gift to the outcast. If you feel this Christmas season poor, weak, tired, lonely, misunderstood, Jesus is a gift for you. Whatever it is that makes you feel alone or unwanted or less than, Jesus' gift to you is to tell you that you are loved. You are valuable. You are wanted. Hallelujah. But Jesus isn't just a gift for the outcast. Look at verse 10. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Jesus is a gift for the outcast, but Jesus is also a gift for the powerful. Maybe you don't resonate with someone who feels out of place in this season. Maybe you feel like you've got it all together. See, this angel shows up to the shepherds. And the first thing that angels say almost every time they show up in the Bible is, don't freak out because they're big and they're powerful and they're scary. And as big and powerful and scary as this angel is, he's like the PR guy for someone bigger and more powerful and more important. His job is to proclaim that the king has come. The words that he uses, a savior, the Messiah, that means anointed one, the Lord. Oftentimes, I don't think we understand the word Lord because all we have to reference are like Lord Vader and Lord Voldemort. And nobody really wants to hang with either of those guys. But the Lord is the the ruler, the king, the one with authority. See, the angel says, Jesus has come and he has made a claim on you. He is not an option. He is the authority. He deserves our obedience, our trust, and our worship. Christianity is this amazingly subversive faith. Caesar Augustus is on the throne in the Roman Empire at this time, and he would say, Caesar is Lord. I am Lord. I am the king. I rule the world. And, And the angel comes and says, no, Jesus is Lord. All of you owe your obedience and your allegiance to Jesus. But then the angel says something weird. He says, I've got a sign for you. What's a sign? A sign is something that you you put forth to prove your message. Something that demonstrates what you're trying to communicate. If a police officer comes in and says, you're under arrest, 
They can show you their badge. It's a sign that they have the authority to do what they're going to do. And the angel says, here's a sign. You'll find the king wrapped in clothes in a manger. For those of us that are familiar with the Christmas story, no big deal. We see the little manger scenes in the nativity everywhere. But what the angel says is kind of ridiculous. The great king, the ruler of the world, the savior and the Lord is born and he's in a barn in an animal trough. That's really weird. See, Jesus, from the very beginning, has absolute power, and he displays it over and over and over again in weakness. And we are confused by this as people. We, we have an understanding of what power is and how it works, and we say, you know, the, the government and science and education and technology and military might, all of these things are important and powerful and they're the things that are going to accomplish great things for the world. But Jesus says, no, these things aren't fundamentally going to change the world at all. Selflessness, humility, quiet, resolute goodness, these are the way that Jesus displays power. And these are, these are, this is the way that people who follow Jesus, if you're a Christian tonight, if you say, I am a follower of Christ, this is the way that you and I display power. Sometimes we forget this and we, you know, if only we elect the right people, if only we have the right musicians, if only we own the right TV stations and produce the right movies, then the kingdom will come. But Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. It's the lowly, it's the seemingly weak that have the real power. And see, Jesus is a gift to the powerful. And many of us in this room, by at least the world's global standards, are rich, powerful people. Jesus is a gift to the powerful because he takes our mask off. He gives us permission to say, you know what? you're not really powerful. You're, you're just pretending to be strong. You're actually weak and frail and scared and Jesus in, invites himself into your weakness and shows up there. Jesus says, let me show you what real power looks like through your weakness. You don't have to pretend to be strong. You don't have to figure out how to succeed the way the world says you need to succeed. Because real power looks very different than we think. Jesus is a gift to the outcast. He's a gift to the powerful. And he's also a gift to his enemies. Look at verse 13. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Jesus has come to bring peace. And we get this drilled into us this season. 
This is a season of peace. And, and you'll go to the grocery store and somebody's just in a rotten mood and you think, oh, it's just a shame. Of all the times to be in a rotten mood, at Christmas? Because we can't hold peace together. The worst example of this, I think, is something called the Christmas Truce of 1914. You've never heard this story. This is uh, during World War I, both sides are fighting each other and killing each other until Christmas Day, and they come out of their trenches and they sing Christmas carols, just like we were singing a minute ago, and they exchange gifts with one another, and they play, there's photographs of them playing soccer in the snow. And there's diary records that it was like the best Christmas ever. But on December 26th, they went right back to killing each other. Because we try to manufacture peace and it doesn't work. Our attempts at peace don't last. Whether we're striving with other family members or coworkers or even nations, we try to make peace and it doesn't hold. But Jesus comes to offer us peace. And primarily, he offers us peace between us and God. You see, we start out this life as enemies of God. We rebel against the very fabric of the universe he creates. Every time that we tell a lie, every time we mock someone else made in the image of God, every time we steal or lust or murder or hold anger and bitterness in our hearts, Every time we decide to lift up our own agenda above the agenda of loving others, we levy a fresh attack against God. But Jesus comes and he brings an offer of peace. I have a pretty terrible memory. My family's here, so they may call me out on this later, but... One Christmas, I got a snowboard, and it wasn't wrapped under the tree. It was from my grandmother, and it was like a little card. And I opened the card, and on the card was a riddle. And I figured out that riddle, and, I, and it led me to some other area of the house. And there was another riddle. And that led me to another area of the house and uh, riddle after riddle after riddle until finally it led me to my grandmother's car keys and a clue that I needed to go open her trunk. And so I got my boots on and I went out into the snow and I opened the trunk and in the trunk was a snowboard. And sometimes this is how we envision the gifts of God. God's got a gift for us, but we've got to work for it. If you want to be at peace with God, if you want to be loved and valued, if you want to lay down the false sense of power that you are exhausted holding up, that's fine, but it's going to be work. You're going to have to strive and prove it, that you really want it. But that's not how Jesus gives gifts. Jesus gives gifts directly, freely, and openly. 
Jesus gives us value and love and family when we feel outcast. Jesus calls us out when we're trying to be strong and powerful and says, you don't have to fake that anymore. You can tear those walls in your own life down and be honest and open with one another. And Jesus turns us from being God's enemies to God's friends. And the key to getting the gifts that Jesus offers us is in verse 14. The angel is is surrounded by a multitude of other angels and they say, glory to God in the highest heaven. See, the key to receiving from Jesus this Christmas or any other day is worship. It's deciding I am done with my own agenda. God, I want yours. I'm done with trying to figure out whatever it is I'm trying to figure out to make my life count because it's not working. What do you have for me, Jesus? The Bible calls it repentance. And it simply means turning around, changing your mind. In one minute, there's no scavenger hunt for this gift. In one minute, you go from God's enemy to God's friend just because you want to be, and he offers it openly and freely. And so this Christmas, I am poor and outcast, but Jesus gives me value. I want to be powerful, but I am secretly weak, and I don't want anyone to know. But Jesus offers me true strength in the midst of my weakness. I am an enemy of God, but Jesus reconciles me to, his, to God by his love. One of the things that we do every week here at Revelation Church is we take communion together. And the communion meal is, is, a, is a ritual, it's a rite, it's an observance that Jesus instituted on the night that he was betrayed to be killed. See, the story of Jesus starts at Christmas, but it ends at Good Friday and Easter. The redemption that Jesus brings is inaugurated on this night in Bethlehem, but it is completed on the cross. And Jesus says, I am going going to the cross. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to take your place. And this bread, this is my body broken for you. And this cup, this is my blood shed for you. Because in in the ultimate example of Jesus' power, he defeats sin, he defeats death, and he wins a place for you and I and God's family through his death. And everything from Christmas forward leads to the cross. And so 
as Jesus' people tonight celebrating the gift of Jesus, we remember not just his birth, but his death for our sins. And so we're gonna, we're gonna sing some more. These old songs with these somewhat complicated words that remind us of the love of God. And we're gonna remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So the communion table will be open as we sing. Feel free to come and grab the bread and the juice or the wine per your conscience. Take that back to your seat and worship. Think about Jesus. Give honor to Jesus. What are the areas of your life that you are alone, that you are afraid? What are the areas of your life that you are proud, that you feel powerful, but you know it's all a sham? What are the areas of your life where you know that you are disconnected from God? Take just a few minutes tonight and figure that out with the Lord. And if you're here tonight and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you can become one. There's no lengthy process. There's no set of things that you need to accomplish before you're good enough. Jesus has come for you. And all it takes is to say yes to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus as a, as a poor baby in a manger. God, the, the paradox of Christmas is hard to understand if we take the time to think about it. The great king in such weakness. But this is the paradigm that you set for your people, that true strength is found in our weakness. And in our weakness, we call to you and say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do it. I am alone. I am outcast. I'm afraid. I'm tired. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that tonight your spirit would move in this place. God, for those of us that, that are yours, that are part of your family, God, we, we need more of you. And for those of us tonight that, that don't know you, God, I just pray that you would make yourself known. This time when we're all supposed to feel happy and joyful. Sometimes the right question is, why? What's going on? God, answer that question in our hearts tonight. Give us peace. Give us hope. Remind us of who you are and what you've done for us and bringing our salvation, making us part of your family. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church 
at revelationcda.com.